Hey, good morning, and uh, so good to have you here with us on this pleasant, a little bit of warm day, and as summer is coming to an end, supposedly, uh, and many of you and our kids are all going back to school, uh, the weather sure doesn't tell us that, but I hope you're doing well. Um, I know that school is back in session because this past week, um, I was going over AP European history with Ashley as she is taking that class, and we were talking about the Renaissance period. And before I knew, I was more intrigued than she was. And you know, I never took AP European history, and so God has allowed me to take it again. And so I was reading the book with her and just talking it through. And one of the um, uh, influencers of that day was Michelangelo, the artist, right? And the sculpture of David and the artwork that is in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And one of the, probably the most famous on the Sistine Chapel is the creation of Adam. And in this, you see a picture, a painting of God and Adam reaching out to each other. And there's a, a, a shot you can see here. One thing you see here is God is traveling. It looks like he's coming a long way down. And he is reaching out. He's depicted as the obviously the one on the right. Um, and he is reaching out in a full stretch. And you look at Adam, the picture of man. And he's sitting casually. He's not even standing up. His elbow is rested on his knee. And his finger is not even pointing towards God. And it's a picture where if he would even lift a finger, he would touch God. But his finger is down. And we see that picture there. Um, and it's a picture that we are that close to God. And that's what Michelangelo was trying to portray in that. We are that close to God. God is fully reaching out to us. And yet we don't seek him out. And here today we see um, a prayer by Habakkuk, a difficult prayer, prayer during difficult times. And, you know, we are going through some very difficult times. Uh, the CDC this past summer came out with the, the results of their survey, and they said up to 25.5% of young adults have contemplated taking their own lives, that it's been so difficult for them. They said that 31% of all those who responded to the survey reported experiences of symptoms of anxiety and depression. 26% uh, experienced symptoms of trauma, stress-related disorders. And maybe you are part of that 25, 30%. And that's normal. It's difficult. Uh, a Christian is, does not mean that we are exempt from the hardships of the world, that we do not struggle with our own health. And, but yet, at the same time, I want to encourage you to run to God, That, especially at times like this. We cannot afford to neglect our time with God in prayer. And we see here in the book of uh, Habakkuk, in this first four verses, we see a prayer. And what we see is how he is embracing God. And in the embrace of God, in this prayer, he finds that God is there permanently. He's a covenant God. And he learns to wait. And aren't we all waiting? Haven't we all said the same questions that uh, uh, Habakkuk has said in verse 2? How long shall I cry? And haven't we all asked that question? How long? How long is this going to last? How long before I can get uh, my nails done? How long before we can get back to watching football in person or basketball or whatever it is? How long? And the second question he asks in verse 3 is the why question. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look? Uh, why do you idly look at wrong? It's the why question. God, why is this happening? 
And over these last several months, we've had so many prayers of so, with so many people who have struggled, even within our church, of uh, loved ones and parents who have gotten ill or losing even a loved one or some financial hardships, and we've prayed and shared. And these questions have come up, why and how long? And it is in the midst of us asking that we see our text today, that it is okay to ask those questions. It is normal for Christians to even go through hard times. It is okay for Christians to be one in four, 30% of facing symptoms. It's okay. And yet, there is an answer. There is a source of strength. Prayer is a place of embrace. Prayer is a place of God's uh, permanent relationship with us. Prayer is a place we can wait and know that God will do something. So that's what Habakkuk tells us. You know, just a little background on Habakkuk. He's one of the minor prophets. And we call it the minor prophets, not because they are less important. It's not like the major leagues and the minor leagues in baseball. But they're just called minor because they're shorter. And so at the end of your Old Testament, you will see a list of the minor prophets that are mentioned there. Many that uh, we have a, sometimes a hard time finding when we're looking it up. Where is Habakkuk, right? Uh, this was written around 600 B.C. Uh, this is the era when the kingdom of Israel is now divided. So under Saul, David, Solomon, it's the united monarchy. They had one king. And after Solomon's sin, the one nation becomes two, the northern and the southern, Israel and Judah, they're called. And so during that time, the judgment comes and the enemies come and take over. And the Assyrian kingdom comes and takes over the northern kingdom and they're in exile. And that's exactly where, when this is written. Their neighbors, their brothers in the northern kingdom are now taken away into captivity by the Assyrians. The Babylonians are lurking, and in the southern kingdom, things are very fragile. Uh, some of the commentators point out, boy, they had a series of bad kings making bad decisions. Uh, there's a drought that had devastated the land. There's no more crops. Uh, there's no more cattle. Most of the cattle have either been uh, stolen or they have starved to death. And so they're lacking food, water. The enemy the, is right around them. And it is at this point they cry out. And really, uh, maybe we can say, I understand this. Can't find toilet paper when I need it. I can't find Clorox wipes when I need it. You know, at one point we had a shortage of steaks, right? And most of us panicked. You know, we need the steaks, right? We can live without the toilet paper. A lot of people in this world live without toilet paper. But steak. But uh, maybe we cry out during these times. And maybe we've never experienced the market having empty shelves, and this is something that has brought fear to us. And we might ask, how long and why? And it is in this passage we learn about prayer, uh, that prayer, first of all, is a place of embracing God. When we think about being embraced by someone, I don't know if you're a hugger. Uh, I'm kind of a hugger. My mom is a hugger, so my mom would hug all my friends, when we were in high school, when they would come over, I still remember on my very second date with Sharon, my wife, uh, on my second date, so we weren't even officially boyfriend, girlfriend, but we stopped by my house. I had to pick up something, and my mom was lurking to see who this might be, and I remember she gave her this big hug, 
and said something to the effect of, oh, so you're the one, and really freaked her out, right? Sharon was going to run away, and she was so scared at that time. And I was like, Mom, don't say that yet. And she was hugging her, and, you know, she's a hugger. And really, the idea is we go to someone, and you, em- you get embraced. They give you a hug. And there's a place of comfort. And, and I bring up this because Habakkuk, the name means to embrace. His name literally meant to embrace God or embraced by God. He is close to God. He finds himself at a place where he is so close to God, he feels the embrace, the arms of God around him. In the Old Testament uh, days, uh, biblical times, names meant so much more. Today, our names are just ways to identify someone, the ways to call someone. That's about it. Right, so names that we have here in this room are, we don't know the meaning, right? I don't know what Chris, what the meaning is, or Jane, or, you know, or, or Scott, or they're just names, right? But back in biblical times, names had meaning. Names would define a person. It would be the destiny of the person. So when they are given the name, oftentimes they lived out that identity. So names meant so much. So for example, Abram. Right? is later by God changed to Abraham. Abram meant exalted father. And the irony was he was bar- his wife was barren. They couldn't have children. And after he encounters God, God changes his name to father of many. And he was going to be the father of nations. And so God would often change the names of the people he encountered because their life and destiny would change forever. And we see here that Habakkuk, his name meant embraced. He comes to God in a difficult time. He comes to God when anxiety is really high and sleep is low and there is no peace and the stomach and his stomach is going upside down and uh, some of us have experienced this. And he goes to God and he experiences the God of embrace in his prayer. It's interesting because prophets just by their title meant one who speaks on behalf of God. So most prophets would hear a message from God, and they would say, thus says the Lord, and they would deliver the message. This prophet is very rare, because not only does he just receive this, but he's the one first going to God and speaking to God first. It's almost as if, boy, he has this intimate relationship with God. He is being embraced by God, And before he even speaks and does his job to tell and warn the people of living for God, He goes to God, and he cries out to God. He embraces God. God, the embracer. God is a source of our comfort. Let me encourage you to pray daily. Never make it a religious duty. Don't check it off your list like I prayed, I did my workout, I did this, I did that. But go to God and just sit. Be comforted. Be embraced. Be strengthened. Go to Him regularly. Don't neglect this. Uh, This ought to be for us our number one thing. You think about this, we can go and be embraced by Him. You know, the famous uh, French theologian, mathematician, physicist, Blaise Pascal, that we know his name. Blaise Pascal, after he had died in 1662, a housekeeper was going through all of his closets and he she found a jacket the housekeeper found the jacket and in the inside of the jacket was sewn this piece of parchment 
And there was something back there. I, I wonder if the housekeeper thought maybe there's money or something good. And uh, they open it up, and in it is a handwritten note. And on it, it's titled Fire. There's hand, a handwritten, uh, drawn cross, and he talks about the day he met Christ. And he sewed it to the inside of his coat, and he wore it for eight more years till he died. Uh, in it, I just want to uh, share a little bit about what was on this note. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, November 23rd. From about half past 10 in the evening until about half past midnight, fire. He calls that encounter fire. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ, your God will be my God. And following that, about 30 descriptive lines telling the story of how Pascal came to know Christ and he was saved by Christ. He said that night was like fire. He had encountered God. He had found strength and he attached that to the inside of his coat. That coat was next to him all the time. And for eight years till God took him home, he lived remembering the nearest of Christ the night of fire that he had experienced. God is here. God is available. God is reaching out saying, come, come and talk to me. And he says, I will embrace you. I will care for you. I will comfort you. Secondly, prayer is not only a place of comfort, but it's a place to find your covenant God. Um, so going back to the names, Habakkuk's name meant embrace. Right after we see in verse 2, God's proper name, the covenant name is used. O Lord, in verse 2, capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh, his, his proper name is used. This is a name that is used by people who knew him, who know him in a covenant relationship. And so it's not the same as just the capital L and then O-R-D, but all caps talk about his proper name. And it says in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? So before he even cries out, before he even questions God, how long, why is this happening? He remembers him as the covenant God, the one that is known by first name basis. This relationship is not conditional. And let me ask you a question. How many people do you really have in your life whose relationship is unconditional? You know, man, if you need anything, they are there. You need a, a kidney, they'll give you their kidney. You need a, you're cold, they'll give you their jacket. You need anything, they're there. You can do anything, and they are there. We often use uh, family terms to describe friends, don't we? Uh, we talk about a friend like, this is like my brother. He's like my brother, right? A brother from another mother. And you're like, well, technically, then he's not your brother, right? Anyway, so, but we say things like that, or she's like my big sis, man. I've known her, you know, since we were in elementary school, or, you know, this, that lady is like my auntie. I call her auntie. Uh, and we use terms like that to describe the permanence, the covenant relationship we might have with friends who aren't really family. And we say they are like this, but they are few in our lives. The one we can go to, and we have to remember as we pray, is the God that we go to is permanently there. He is a cov God of, of a covenant. He is there with us. Um, you know, this prayer he asks, how long? Verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? These are, in a way, very insulting to God. 
How dare he come to God and say, you're doing nothing? How dare he come to God and make accusations to God, we can argue. But it is because they are in this covenant relationship. It is because he knows that there is nothing he can do wrong to lose this, that he can go to God. And he can go and cry out like a child might cry out to their parent. And God will accept. You know, the book of Exodus, when we think about the book of Exodus, we think about Moses, Israelites. Uh, we think about the Ten Commandments, the law. And we often forget that the book of Exodus is really the beginning of the idea of God being our covenant God. There's a phrase here in the book of Exodus, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Lord your God. That term, Lord your God, is mentioned 16 times in the book of Exodus. God is trying to teach his people over and over and over again, I'm your God. Yahweh is your God. We are in a relationship. And so it starts in Exodus 6, 7. And I just, I'm going to read a, just a random verses. You could follow along in Exodus if you have your Bible. He says, I will take you, Exodus 6, 7. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. Your God, my people. This is an exclusive relationship. This is an unconditional relationship. And so the whole point of Exodus is God trying to teach us, teach his people, I'm your God. Don't go to other gods. I'm your God. There is a covenant here. You think about the Ten Commandments, we often think of it as rules to keep to get some kind of blessing from God. Boy, if I keep these ten rules, then maybe I can get to heaven or I can get some favors from God. But really the point of the Ten Commandments, the first four dealing with God, the next six dealing with people, is about understanding the Lord your God, that we are in a covenant relationship. So in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments are listed, and it's all about this relationship. And again, that phrase is mentioned in verse 2, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Right? Again, I, the Lord your God. You shall not take my na the name of the Lord your God in vain. Again, he's saying, I'm your God. We are in this relationship. Uh, again, remember the Sabbath, right? Verse 10, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So all of these things have to deal with this relationship. The Lord your God. He is your God. So the next time you come to that place of prayer, and before you try to formulate the exact words, or before you come and you are afraid that you might be rejected, you have to remember He is your God. He is there for us. And doesn't matter what we do, He is there. He initiates the covenant. He finishes, completes the covenant. And so we come in prayer in a very secure place, like Habakkuk did. Yeah, he, went and he was embraced by God his whole life, but at the same time, he goes and he complains to God. He says prayers that he might be rebuked if he said in the modern-day church today, how can you say that to God? That's irreverent of you to say to God. But it is a safe place for him to say. It's a safe place because God is there. It is Edmund Clowney who says about prayer this. He says, prayer is a personal address to a personal God. A personal address to a personal God. So he's not just a cosmic God that is indifferent, who might hear, who might not. But he hears you. He knows you. He knows what you are going through. He knows the place of your heart. And he hears you in this way. 
uh, I read about how Martin Luther had written this small book on prayer. And the, the book that he wrote on prayer, the reformer had written about prayer, he, it was requested by his barber, uh, Peter Beskendorf. His barber would cut his hair and shave him and, and take care of him. Um, and so he asked, he asked him, what's a simple way to pray? Teach me how to pray. And so he writes a little book for him. Uh, his barber, Peter Beskendorf, was a devout man, but he was far from perfect. One of the things that he had done in the past is during a family meal, as he was fully intoxicated, he ends up stabbing and killing his son-in-law. And with the help of others, he is now exiled. And he reaches out and says, how can I live for God? And Martin Luther reminds him in that book, simply, he says, and I quote, it is a good thing to let prayer be the first business of the morning and the last at night. The discipline of prayer. And he tells him to do this because he needed to be reminded that God forgives him, that God accepts him, that God will be the one to embrace you, and he hears this good news. Thirdly, prayer often is a place of waiting. It's a place we find comfort, right? We're embraced by God. Prayer is a place we are reminded of the covenant relationship we have with God. But thirdly, prayer is a place of waiting with expectation. When he asks that question in verse 2, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? How long? He's saying, I am impatient. I've had enough. About a month ago, Ashley had the, um, we went to go get her driver's permit, right? And so we need your prayers, right? I need your prayers. Um, the city of Brea, uh, we need your, all your prayers. She's doing better, though, right? Um, and everyone has survived and things are good. But we still need your prayers, right? We went to the DMV. It was a three-day ordeal. I went first to scope it out at Fullerton. And the line was very long. The next day I went again, got there at 11. And the line was very long and it was very hot. I didn't come prepared. And I waited. And uh, I made the mistake of coming right before their lunch hour. So I got there at 11. The line was moving at a uh, uh, snail's pace till lunchtime hit, and then it stopped moving. Uh, my daughter was in the air-conditioned car, probably putting on a jacket. It was so cold, and I was out there getting a nice tan. So I gave up. I said, I can't do this. How long? Right? And I asked the guy, how long? He said, I don't know. Went back the next day, and I went prepared, got there 6 in the morning to a different DMV. I took an umbrella. I took a venti cup of coffee, a venti or large cup of ice water. I downloaded a movie, uh, Boston Marathon movie. What's his name? Mark uh, Wahlberg. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> I forgot the name of it. Anyways, brought my, charged my headphones, charged my phone, brought my chair. I was ready. While everyone was standing in the heat, I had my umbrella, sipping on some iced coffee, watching this movie. I had a great time. Got there at 6, started taking our test at 11. We waited. How long? How long? Sometimes going to God in a prayer, maybe this season for us it felt like this. How long? Is this line going to move? God, are you going to hear me? Is my request going through? And as we ask this, we have to know that waiting on God is part of the process. It is not because he is inefficient or because he is busy. It's because he, he has perfect timing for us. We may not see it, 
but God sees it. Even in this whole complaint, it's a first person complaint that Habakkuk comes. What about me? This is what I see. God, what about what I am experiencing? He doesn't see the broad view. When God answers him, he answers him in the plural. What about you all? There are things God sees that we cannot see. And God's timing is perfect. The late J.I. Packer speaks on this phrase, wait on the Lord. And there's a quote. Wait on the Lord is a constant refrain in the Psalms. It is a necessary word for God often keeps us waiting. He is not in such a hurry as we are. And it is not his way to give more light on the future than we need for action in the present or to guide us more than one step at a time. And I love this. When in doubt, do nothing but continue to wait on God. When action is needed, light will come. When in doubt, do nothing. And that screams against our ambitious uh, creative ways. Do nothing. I, I want to do something. I want to be proactive. I need to go and now act right now. But no, sometimes we have to learn to wait. Do nothing. Continue to wait on God. When action is needed, light will come. Let me encourage you to come to God in prayer. The prayer is a place of waiting, yes, but also it's a prayer of waiting for God to act. He will ultimately act. He will answer every prayer in his perfect timing. Uh, there's a story of the pagan Saxon king Ethelfrith. Uh, this, the, the Saxons were attacking Wales, and this king, as they were scoping out Wales, they saw the Welsh people, who are Christians, now for, forming their army. And the king was looking down at the enemies, and he would see them forming. But he saw these soldiers who were carrying no weapons. But they were coming to the front line, and there was a bunch. And he asked his, uh, the people with him, he says, who are these soldiers without weapons? He says, they're not soldiers. They're the religious people. They're the Christian monks. They're going out to pray. And the Saxon king was so afraid even of them that he says, the first people we need to attack are the monks. So even a heathen, uh, a non-Christian, a non-God-fearing king had a fear of God that God might act. And how important is it that we understand and we know that God will act, that we can pray and God will act. I love these uh, a couple quotes. Eugene Peterson, I came across this quote, Prayer is the disciplined refusal to act before God acts. To say, God, I'll act. I'll wait before I act. Oftentimes it is in our panic. We just start going wild. You ever been in panic? The alarm is going off or there's an earthquake. You don't know what to do and you're just running out and you're panicking. Or if you've ever had a fire or a flood and you're just panicking and you don't know what to do. And oftentimes we react. But we are called to refuse to act before God acts. John Stott reminds us, the purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours, but rather to align our will to His. So we are to wait on Him. We ought to now say, God, what do you want me to do? It's not, God, how can I manipulate you? What is now the design? How can I now make God do what I want? It is the way for us to say, God, this is your will. Align my will to you. We see this in Exodus when 
uh, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he's not coming down and the people are panicking. What do they do? They erect the golden calf. They put all their gold together and they make their own God. They felt like we need a God and so we're going to make our own God. And we will go with the God that's been known in Egypt. We'll make one look like a calf and that will appease everyone because they were panicking. Where is our leader? Where is God? Anxiety makes us do irrational things. Prayer now gets rid of that anxiety and lets us sit at his feet. C.S. Lewis had an essay on prayer, and he points out, excuse me, he points out uh, something about answered prayer. And I think this is uh, a very helpful. He points out that God, he has a special kind of tenderness to new baby Christians. Um, and he says it's kind of like a parent who now takes care of uh, an infant. And so those of you who have infants, or those of you, you remember if you had infants, they cry out at the middle of the night and you're going over. And they cry out for different things to be held. And oftentimes you don't say no to them, you go out to them. And God has a tenderness. But as we mature, as we grow in faith, Oftentimes, God now is hands off. It seems like God answers us less, or God often says no to those who have been walking with him. And this is what C.S. Lewis argues. He says this, as the Christian life proceeds, uh, they tend to be rarer. Talking about uh, prayers being answered. The refusals are not only more frequent, they become unmistakable, more emphatic. And the examples he talks about, he talks about Paul three times asking for the thorn in his side to be removed, and God says, my grace is sufficient. Why is that? Shouldn't God answer the faithful first? Don't we think often, God, haven't I been good enough for you? How come you are not answering me? But it is in the process of maturity. As God is now teaching us, He's teaching us His grace is sufficient. The greatest of all, the most faithful of all, Jesus Christ asked three times to His own Heavenly Father to take this cup from me, and the Father refused, and He went to the cross. It is, uh, we ultimately go back to the cross, and it is at that place all of our prayers, all of our hardships are ultimately answered as Christ is on the cross. He now allows us to be with the Father. The covenant has started. The sin has been cared for. So it is at the cross. And you know, just as Habakkuk had asked why, Jesus asked the why question as well in Mark 15, 34. Ninth hour, he cried out, loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He asked the same why question and it seems like God didn't answer him, but he did. He answers him by saying, and letting Christ die and rise again. And ultimately, through what happens on the cross, we now have this covenant relationship. We now enter into the embrace of God. We can now wait on God, and God answers us. And so we find the answer to all of our pressing needs in Christ. Through his death, we are now his. And so we remember and we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ today because he has allowed us in to the presence of God the Father.
the answer to all of our needs ultimately is in Christ. What a joy that is. Would you bow your heads with me where you're at? And we're going to pray. Thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ, who asked that same question, why? Many of us have prayed that same question, why, to you as well, as we are going through hardships. And yet, your presence, your covenant, your embrace is there. And that is good enough. And what happened on the cross is sufficient for us. So we find our answer in Jesus Christ. Give us that kind of faith. Your grace is sufficient for us. So Lord, we run to you daily. We say prayers that seem um, like nonsense at times. But you accept us. You love us, and we are humbled by that. So we thank you, and we pray in the saving name of Christ. Amen.